Well, good morning, church. Would you guys all uh, find a seat? Um, stay standing, though, because we're going to worship our Lord. been forgiven and how has the rebel been made clean or blinded eyes been made to see how have the orphans been adopted who hated your love and ran from grace spies and rejected all your ways how wonderful the father's love the father's love for us that he would send his only son to come and rescue us. He has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. Your mercy floods our lives with kindness. Your grace is colored all we see, and you have promised not to leave. You freely give your spirit to us, so we can be sure we're sons of God and rest in the hope of what's to come. How wonderful the Father's love, the Father's love for us. That He would send His only Son to come and rescue us. He has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. Those sufferings may fill our lives we're confident we're heirs with christ and so we cry and die father those sufferings may fill our lives we're confident we're heirs with christ and so we cry and die father how wonderful the father's love the father's love for us that he would send his only son to come and rescue us sing that again how wonderful the father's love the father's love for us that he would send his only son to come and rescue us how wonderful the father's love the father's love for us that he send his only son to come and thank you jesus he has saved us called us blameless guides us now and will sustain us oh how wonderful the father's love 
it's a great morning to worship God. Why don't you guys turn around and greet one another? Okay, if you can make your way back to your seats, we'll gather for the call to worship this morning. Okay, go ahead and make your way back to your seats. We'll go ahead and get going this morning with our call to worship. And our call to worship is from Psalm 150. But one of the things we do regularly here at Grace Christian Fellowship that we just do is that we call ourselves to worship. And this isn't something we came up with. This is from nice, soothing background music. I, I demand that they have music behind me whenever I speak. So uh, it's my fault, really. Uh, I demand they have music behind me when I sing. <laughs> uh, so even as we gather this morning for our call to worship, uh, one of the things that we uh, recognize in Scripture, this isn't just something we do for no reason. We call ourselves into worship because the Bible does this. 
that it orients us to worship our God. It recognizes that you are created by God and you are created for worship. And so this really is a command to praise him, to worship him. And so every Sunday we gather with a scripture that calls us into worship, that reminds us of our position before him to worship as his created beings, as those in good relationship with him. So let's do... Uh, hear this call to worship this morning. This is a responsive call. So in the bolden sections, do respond uh, with me this morning. The psalmist says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's do praise the Lord this morning. beyond our days for the one that once was buried lives again amen now the tomb is bare and empty and the stone is rolled away praise the risen one who overcame the grave all you broken hearted, all you born and weak, come find living water, everlasting stream. To the wandering spirit, lost and searching, wanting something more, find the risen King who overcomes the world. Let there be dancing in the darkness And let our song break through the night Lift your voice and sing that Christ is King For Jesus is alive No more condemnation, no more doubt and fear for our sin and shame, they have no power here. In His resurrection, perfect love has set the captives free. Praise the risen King who stands in victory. Let there be dancing in the darkness, and let our song break through the night. Lift your voice and sing that Christ is King for Jesus. Sing that again. Let there be dancing in the darkness and let our song break through the night. Lift your voice and sing that Christ is King for Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. 
is undone, hallelujah. Jesus has won, hallelujah. We overcome, oh, in Jesus. Celebrate that with me this morning. And hallelujah. Death is undone, hallelujah. Jesus has won, hallelujah. We overcome, oh, in Jesus. Oh, in Jesus, hallelujah. Death is undone, hallelujah. Jesus has won, hallelujah. We overcome, oh, in Jesus. Oh, in Jesus. Let there be dancing in the dark. And let our song break through the night. Lift your voice and sing. The Christ is King, for Jesus is alive. Let there be dancing in the dark, and let our song break through the night. Lift your voice and sing. The Christ is King, for Jesus is alive. Faithful in love, 
my debt is paid and the victory the Lord is my salvation and when I reach my final day he will not lead me in the grave but I will rise he will call me home the Lord is my salvation who is like the Lord our God strong to save faithful in love my debt is paid and the victory won the Lord is my salvation Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. The Lord is our salvation. The Lord is our salvation. The Lord is our salvation. Amen. You may be seated. Well, even as we gather for worship, we find ourselves coming before God in worship, uh, one of the things we recognize is the closer we come before God and His holy character, the more evident our sin becomes. So as we draw near to the Lord, we should be able to see our sinfulness. And the Lord has not left us without something to do with this. He has said, repent, call upon the Lord, seek the Lord, turn to Him. And so this is something that we do regularly, not only individually as Christians, but as a church to have lives of repentance, to be marked by lives of repentance, continually coming under the care and love of the Lord. So this morning we will be led into our confession of sin by Isaiah 55. Um, so do hear these words and then let's do confess sin with one another and do respond in the bolden sections. Uh, Prophet Isaiah says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon us to confess our sins. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifest sins and wickedness, which we from time to time have most grievously committed. By thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your wrath and indignation against us, we earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for our presumes. The remembrance of them is grievous to us. The burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. Christ's sake, forgive us all the past, 
to take a moment this morning for silent prayer confession. Lord God, we do come before you this morning as the people of your church, recognizing that we indeed do sin. We turn away from you in ways that we, we don't like to recognize, we don't like to believe that are true, but we do this regularly. We confess this before you this morning, that as your church, each and every one of us sins. And we come before you humbly, asking for your forgiveness, asking for your covering, for the grace of Jesus we recognize, Lord, that you have in our sin drawn near to us. That you are close to us, even as sinners. That you have reached out to draw us near. So, Lord, we confess all these things before you with great hope and expectation in all of the work of Jesus Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that we recognize, even as we confess our sins, we don't want to continue in them. We don't want to continue in them. There's great hope that God forgives sins and helps us to change, helps us to turn away from them. And there's great assurance that even as we seek to do this, we will sin again. And God meets us even there to say again and again, you come under the work that I have done on the cross. So let's do be reminded of these things in this assurance of pardon from 1 John and the book of Luke. Do respond in the bolden sections again. The book of 1 John says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the, right, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It is written... That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Indeed, good and sweet words for us. The work of Jesus Christ on our behalf that we can hold on to these and proclaim them. And praise him for those. So let's do continue to worship and praise our God this morning as we worship him. Let's do stand and sing these next songs. Yeah. 
marvelous and how bow your heads and join me in prayer. Father, we are so grateful 
to be able to gather again this morning as your people, as we did last week and the week before, and as we have since you called us all to this place. Thank you for the way that you have provided so generously for us, for the safe and comfortable building that we can bring our families and our friends to, to worship you, for the people in this room who share our convictions. We pray that you would be pleased to hear our songs and our confessions and our prayers this morning. Father, this morning we pray for ourselves about the pursuit of your glory. We ask that you would help focus our hearts away from things in this world, away from our own proud selves, away from our worldly desires and our material wants, and focus these hearts of ours toward your glory. And not just today, not just this morning or this week, but Lord, please bring about true heart change, hearts that truly and often desire to bring glory to your name. God, you created us for your glory. You discipline us and you change our hearts for your glory. You forgive our sins for your glory. You brought us salvation by the death of your son for your glory. You judge people in hell by your perfect justice for your glory. Because of what you tell us in Isaiah 42, where it says, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Because of this, we glorify your name. Because of what you say in Isaiah 48, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Because of these words, we desire to give you glory. Because as we reflect on what we have been saved from and how that salvation came to us, even our sinful hearts will glorify you at some times. But God, we need your forgiveness for when we do give glory to carved idols and for when we do profane your name by giving your glory to others. So please forgive us. Humble us, Lord. Give us eyes to see where you are working in our lives for our good and where you are bringing down the high places of the world. And Lord, bring us to our knees in praise so that we might glorify you. Father, we also pray for New Hope Bible Church and their pastor Eric Hinnenkamp. We pray that this very day you would bring about a deeper understanding of the gospel and a deeper faith to them all that by Eric's preaching, you would change hearts in that congregation, that they would be humbled and they would grow in their love for you. Thank you for their witness and their partnership in your kingdom, in, your Spokane, in Spokane. Please bless them. In the same way, we pray for Seda and Emma Sakaguchi, our missionaries and church planners in Tokyo, Japan. We are thankful to know them and to support their work in Tokyo where you are mostly not known by the people there, where the men and women, particularly the men, are meek and disconnected and uninterested in the truth. 
Lord, would you please bless Seda and Emma. Make their work fruitful. Tear down barriers and pierce the hard hearts of the people in Tokyo. For your glory, for the sake of your name. Finally, we pray for our time here this morning and at our other GCF church locations. We pray that you would use the preparation of Jeff and the other pastors to convict us of sin, to grow our understanding and appreciation of the gospel, and to mature us in our faith. We love you, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Drew. Good morning. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Grace Christian Fellowship, I want to welcome you again to our service, especially if you are worshiping with us uh, maybe for the first time today. We're really glad that you are here. Again, it's great to see uh, you members and uh, other folks here as well. Uh, it's great to see you all here. Uh, in, in, a, in a place this size, though, it struck me that uh, there's probably at least a few of you here who are not sure why you are here, and that's okay. Uh, you're not here by accident. You're not here by happenstance. You didn't just sort of wander in. Uh, the Lord has a, has a plan for you in being here today, and I trust that you will uh, continue to receive his grace for you and that he'd minister his grace specifically to your heart this day. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, as uh, we continue here in our series in the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, that's where you'll find it, the words will be up on screen here in just a moment. This is actually a part two of this text that we began last week and we'll endeavor to finish that this morning. Also, while you're turning, we do still have a few more of those Mark uh, devotionals in the, uh, in the uh, library there, so you can pick one of those up after. It's a great way to take notes as we make our way through this series. If you're able to, please stand. As I read, Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through verse 13. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there. Until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Join me in prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, I pray now that you would open up our ears to hear your voice, open up our eyes that we may behold, that we may see your glory, and open up our hearts that we would know your truth. Father, show us, show us what it looks like to live a faithful Christian life. Show us Christ. Give us ears. Give us faith. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. People considering the Christian faith today have usually many challenges and many issues to think about. 
We Christians have many challenges and many things to think about as well. But when a person first learns about uh, Christianity and all that it is about, there could be several intellectual objections about why it's not true, about why it really can't be true, about why this thing called the gospel is actually too good to be true. It's impossible to believe. There also could be more emotional or personal reasons not to believe in Jesus. Maybe there is this sense that, you know, if I really become a Christian and take seriously the call to live a Christian life, I'm actually going to have less friends than when I started. And I open myself up for ridicule, ostracism, rejection, and maybe even far worse. Many in our culture actually believe that the main problem with our culture is Christianity and all those who claim to be Christians. We've heard that, have we not? Christians, yeah, they're, they're not the solution. They're actually the problem and a big part of the problem. Many years ago, there was a book. This is probably going 20, maybe even more than that. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Some of you probably read that. If we were to rewrite that first chapter today, How to Win Friends and Influence People, we would not say become a Christian. In fact, it'd probably be the opposite. How do you win friends and influence people? Well, kind of go along with where the world's at. Just be the opposite. And as Christians, we feel this, don't we? We feel this tension acutely. I think that's actually one reason why some have given up the Christian faith altogether or at least seek to rewrite it in a way that doesn't lead to so much ostracism or rejection, or even more from the culture at large. And so given that the growing sentiments, and oftentimes these are unstated, but given that there's this sort of groundswell among many of our neighbors and colleagues and perhaps even family members that kind of looks at us and says, you Christians, you're kind of the problem here. It should cause us as disciples of Jesus to think seriously about what it is that we are called to do what it means to follow Jesus faithfully in this world, what it really means to be his disciples while we live on this earth. And that's why a passage like Mark chapter 6, I think, is really helpful for us. And I think it's actually encouraging for us to look at. We ought to take seriously our call as sent ones, as representatives of Jesus, we, we ought to think carefully about what is important about our mission and our ministry here as disciples. Jesus saves by his grace, by his atoning death on the cross. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. We, none of us could earn salvation. That's the beauty of the gospel. He saves us by his grace, and then what does he do? He sends us out with that same grace in ministry and mission to serve him. So we're looking here in our text at really five essential principles of ministry and mission. We looked at the first two last week. And as I mentioned last week, I'm really using the terms mission and ministry interchangeably. So so we're not just thinking here about maybe going on a mission trip for a couple weeks in a foreign country. And I'm not even just thinking solely about serving on a different ministry team here. We're thankful. There's all kinds of of ministry opportunities. It certainly includes those things, but it includes really a whole host of other things. Essentially, what I want you to be thinking about is, well, kind of everything that happens after Jesus saves you. He sends you out. And so we are a sent people, and you're sent out, and I'm sent out to 
places of employment and to neighborhoods and across the street and around the block and on football fields and in grocery stores and so on and so forth. We are a sent out people to serve, to bless others, to use whatever the gifts and the talents and abilities and he's given. I'm looking out at a group of people who have a whole lot of gifts and talents and abilities, some that you're aware of, maybe some that you're not. But he's, he's given you those, he's given us those, not for no reason, but to serve and to minister, to spread the good news of the gospel. Now again, our text here in Mark, I think really helps us to, to clarify and guide our mission and our ministry, especially when we are surrounded by people who don't think like we do and who really don't care to think like we do and who are perhaps looking at us as if we really are the problem. So last week we looked at the first two principles by way of review. Number one, our mission is at root a shared mission. Last week, remember, we saw how Jesus sent his disciples out in teams of two. So this gets done not by just saying, okay, good, I see you all. Everybody scatter, do the best that you can. Maybe talk to someone on your way out, but then we'll see you at a, a point we'll reconvene. That's not how it is at all. It's a shared mission. It's a shared ministry. And what great joy we have in really sharing the load, working hard together for the sake of the gospel. That was our first principle. Our second principle, our mission depends on us. No. Our mission depends on God. Our mission depends on his provision and his power, not our self-sufficiency, which includes not our giftedness, not our winsome personalities, not our bank accounts, none of those things. In fact, whatever the Lord calls us to do and wherever he sends us, well, we're dependent on him. We're dependent on his power, the provision of his Holy Spirit. In other words, it is Christ in you. Christ in you us. Now again, we're not a mega church here, but just, you have permission just to kind of look around. Some of you are not obeying. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so we're, we're a couple hundred people here, but Christ in us, in you, and then we're sent out. That's formidable. That's not nothing at all. And I'll say more about this as we uh, get to some of these principles, but that's, I mean, that's, that's something to be encouraged about. Here's our third principle. Our third principle is not serving Jesus is always easy. So when Jesus sends you out in mission, when he sends you from this place, oh, the birds are always chirping, the sun is always shining, life always makes sense. That's not the third principle here. Here it is. Our third principle is this. Our mission is realistic. Our mission is realistic. Just as with Jesus, our sender, some will accept us, others will reject us. This is verses 10 and 11. Let me read it for you. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now here's the context. Hospitality was really, really important. Among, it was really among the highest values in the ancient world in the Middle East, and still is, frankly, today. Israelites were also taught to be hospitable to, to traveling foreigners, to, to strangers. And, and they get that, actually, from the example of Abraham, Father Abraham, as they called him in Genesis 18.1. You may remember there, Abraham's in his tent, and I imagine he hears a little knock-knock on the tent. 
And he finds three strangers there, and long story short, what does he do? He tells Sarah, hey, we've got some strangers here, some foreigners, let's start kneading some dough. We, we need some, let's, let's make some cakes, some flour cakes. And so that's what Sarah does, and they provide. They're, they're hospitable to these foreigners, to these strangers. So it was a big deal for Israelites. It's interesting here that this sense of hospitality was also expected of traveling teachers. And so there is a, a first century document, uh, I've referenced it before, it's called the Didache. It's basically like a church constitution. It functioned like that for uh, these Jewish folks. And there are some 16 chapters, which just lines out how, what life is to be like, gives instructions on some very practical details. There's 16 chapters in that. Three of those are devoted to this whole issue here of showing hospitality especially to foreigners, to traveling teachers. And so just just to give you a little sense of this, uh, part of this says that if a traveling teacher shows up at your house and stays three days longer or asks for money, well, he's a false prophet, and you need to throw him out of the house. And if he wants to stay longer than two days, well, he should get a job and then work. And so there's just some practical wisdom the next time the cousins come to town. <laughs> Just tell them about the didache. But it was very common practice for teachers in the first century here to seek hospitality, and there were rules that governed that. And I think that, in fact, that's probably one of the reasons here, the very practical reason why Jesus in verse 9 says, look, don't worry about what you're going to take. Travel light, because the Lord is going to provide, but the, one of the ways that he's going to provide is through the, the physical needs being met by the hospitality and through the hospitality of others. So Jesus here is realistic about his disciples and how they will be received. One is positive and one is negative. So Jesus, verse 10 here, he says that if you find a home that is receptive, what should you do? Stay there until the work is done. In other words, disciples, be content. Be content with the hospitality that's provided for you. I mean, the natural human tendency would be to find, look, the the best place with the best accommodations. You just kind of keep moving around until you find something even better. You just kind of keep upgrading. I mean, can't you just see these teams of two disciples who are sent out by Jesus on this mission and they're excited and they, they all arrive at the same town and then they start comparing accommodations. They're all looking for the best Airbnb in the, in the Jewish world. And they're thinking, wait a minute, how did you get that? John, that's not fair. I was here first. And on and on it goes. I mean, we're all driven. We are, <laughs> we're all driven by comfort in some way, aren't we? I see it in my own life. I mean, that's why when things don't really work, even just small things in life, we, we tend to get upset and we get frustrated. So if there's no batteries in the remote, oh, you got to stand up and you got to go to another room and you got to throw the batteries in the remote and then you go back down and slouch in the couch. Life is so hard. <laughs> or if you put the, you know, you're, you're, you're fixing breakfast and you put the egg on the burner and then you get a phone call or you get something, you come back and you come back to, to find that, you know, you're, it's deep, deep fried. It looks like a Frisbee. Well, that kind of gets you upset, right? Throws the whole day off. We like comfort. We like things the way we like them. So it would almost be like agreeing to house sit for a friend of yours, and they're out of town, and you walk into their house, 
And you start looking around and, and you think, man, it's kind of stuffy in here. Don't they have air conditioning? And then you, you open up the fridge and you think, oh, that's not going to work. There's none of the food that I requested. And then you walk upstairs and you kind of sit down on the bed and you think, well, that doesn't seem so soft. And you kind of feel the sheets and you're like, that's, that's like 200 thread count. That's not going to work. I mean, the point is, Jesus is reminding his disciples here of the need to be content with whatever it is they receive, however much or little, because that's the heart of a servant. That's the heart of sent ones, the heart of Jesus himself. Paul wrote in Philippians 2, Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but but did what? Took the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So disciples of Jesus are sent into ministry and mission, and as they go, they're not to make a list of demands on the people who have agreed to take them in and the people who have agreed to be hospitable and meet their needs. I think that is a very good reminder for all of us. We are sent out to serve, to bless in ministry and mission. We're not to add burdens to people around us who are actually trying to care for us, attempting to meet our needs. I mean, that's one very practical reason why we as elders, we don't, we don't fly around on $66 million jets. Not even close. But you don't see us asking you for money to buy stuff like that. That's also why perhaps if somebody invites you over to their house this next week and they want to feed you a meal and show hospitality, that, that you may end up eating things that you never dreamed that you would eat, like green vegetables. Or salad with, without bacon bits. You don't want to offend. You don't need to offend. You're accepting that hospitality and a heart of gratitude. So being sent out by Jesus doesn't mean that we always get our needs met all the time exactly in the way that we want them. But when, when people are hospitable with a heart of gratitude, we accept it. We're grateful. God is meeting our needs. And Jesus says here, many will welcome you. They're going to invite you in for a time. And then he says, and then they're going to send you off and you'll be off. Now, that's the positive response. Here's here's the reality, though, Jesus says. It's the second response, and it's much less desirable. Verse 11, not everyone is going to be receptive. In fact, some will reject you on account of Jesus. And so we have this terminology here of shaking the dust off your feet. It's It's an interesting picture that we get. It was customary for pious Jews who traveled abroad. They spent time in a foreign land to carefully shake the dust off uh, their feet and offer their clothing from these foreign lands. I was thinking about this this week. It's actually somewhat comical, but uh, you know, it'd be like coming through the border down through Canada there. And let's say you spent some time in Canada. It's a foreign land. And then you came across the border. And once you get through the border, you pull off to the side. You get out of your car and you just start you know, doing this sort of thing. I would not recommend doing that because the border guards, they still have cameras that see you. But but it was the equivalent in this sense, it was the equivalent of declaring a village heathen or pagan. And it was a sign that, a highly symbolic sign, that there was a separation between holy land, the Jewish land, and the pagan lands that were about to face judgment. And so understand this, church, the whole point in shaking the dust off your feet, this is crucial, 
was to make sure that the people in those towns and villages had some understanding of the spiritual danger they were in. To make sure that they had some understanding of the condition of their hearts. And so Jesus here is preparing his disciples for the reality that awaits them. And this is the same reality for us. They're going to be sent into towns and villages where people will oppose them. They will not want to hear the truth. They will not have any time for the truth. They will actively oppose them. They're going to be sent into places to bless and to serve people who actually look at them and think, well, you're actually the problem. You are the problem. And so Jesus says, and notice this is crucial, he says, when you leave, now he doesn't say leave in two hours, hang in there for two days, two years, 20 years. He doesn't, doesn't put a time limit on it, does he? So there are wisdom decisions here to make. I'll speak more of that in just a minute. But he just says, when you leave, make sure that the people there know the grave spiritual danger they are in in rejecting me. And that's the point. Now, the application here, I think, is really, really important. Keep in mind the main principle here, third principle, our mission is realistic. Some will accept us. Some will accept the truth of the gospel. Their lives are going to be changed forever. Praise God. Others will not. Others will reject the gospel, reject the truth, and reject us just as they rejected Christ. Being sent out then as representatives of Jesus, well, it's not always easy, and in some manner it is to invite trouble. It is to invite ridicule or ostracism and sometimes even worse. But to put it simply, brothers and sisters, ministry and mission, this whole business of being sent out by Jesus is not always easy, and sometimes it is very, very difficult. It's hard to keep loving a dad or a sister or maybe a spouse who doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. That's really hard. It's difficult to hang in there with a a friend maybe you grew up with who just likes to make jokes about God and the Bible and your the decisions that you make and the priorities that you establish. So to shake the dust off your feet is not license to unfriend every person who's mean to you. It's not reason either to to cancel that person because they offended you. That's exactly how the world works. You don't say something I like, I don't agree with you, well, we're done. That's not how disciples operate. So you might be here and you think, okay, let me, you, have a, a, you, you probably have a person in mind. It's probably someone who is maybe a little bit hard to love or a lot hard to love. We all have those people, which, by the way, keep in mind, you are that person for somebody else. That's called humility. But you might say, look, I, I tried to talk to them about Jesus, and they just gave me the hard no. In fact, they said, don't ever mention his name again. And so what? Does that mean, well, you can just... Shake the dust off and move on. You don't have to care about them anymore. You don't have to care about their salvation. You are free and clear. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus calls, we go, knowing that some will accept and listen and receive and others will not. So while we don't give up on anybody, there are wisdom decisions to make as we consider and as you consider the the hardness of a person's heart. When Jesus sends us out, 
Some will be very receptive, and some will not. There will be times, church, this is through tears, through a broken heart, that we must warn others of the danger of rejecting Christ and the judgment that will fall on them. And again, that is through tears and a broken heart. But we must be willing to give people a sense of the spiritual danger that we are in. That's just called love because we care about them. It hurts, but it is absolutely necessary. Our mission is realistic. Some will accept us, the truth, just as like Jesus, and some will not. Here's our fourth principle. Our mission involves words. Our mission involves words. It is a proclamation of the gospel, verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. So the disciples were sent out. That word there is really proclaim. It really means to preach. And the content of their message, I don't think that's surprising to us, the content of their message is that everyone should repent, turn from their ways, and turn to God. This is what Jesus, in fact, said at the very beginning. The very first words out of the mouth of Jesus in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The kingdom of God is at hand. Remember, Jesus says, repent and believe in the good news. The kingdom of God came very, very near in the person and work of Jesus. And so when Jesus is, was on this earth, that, that's what he called people to do, to turn from themselves, to turn to trust and live in obedience to God, the God who offered them eternal life, in fact, through Jesus himself, the true king. Now, in Jesus' day, there were a lot of good Jews who believed that, well, look, I was born a Jew, I've got the physical birth, I'm in the lineage, I've got the right blood, so I'm in. I'm in the kingdom, because I'm a Jew, at least by birth. Well, there's still that challenge for us today. I'm a good person. My parents go to church. I go when I can. I try and stay away from the really, really big sins. I try hard to live a good life. I must be in. But all of that falls woefully short because it doesn't involve anything of repentance. I can just kind of live my life as I am. And it shows that that, that, that person, brothers and sisters, is, is still in the kingdom of self. I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to work hard here. I'm going to do that. It's all going to work out for me. That's the kingdom of self. And God offers you entrance into the kingdom of God, where it's far different. Repentance actually involves turning away from self, turning away from hoping and trusting that you got enough in you, your righteousness, and turning to God to accept the righteousness, the perfect righteousness in Christ. So this repentance is is a turning away from thinking and believing that you are okay on your own when in fact God says that you're not. It's turning away from this thinking and believing that says, if I just sort of keep things moving on the outside here, that I really don't have to pay attention to the inside, that I really don't have to change, that my heart can basically just stay the same. Well, repentance, brothers and sisters, genuine repentance is so much more than that. It's not just 
doing your best to stay away from committing a lot of sins this week or not giving in to the one sin that you have given into, stubborn sins. No, repentance is a turning to God in faith and trusting in the sufficiency of Christ and the merits of Christ and the grace that Christ offers us in the gospel. That's the message that these disciples were called to preach. Now, again, they weren't surprised by that. That was the message that Jesus preached from the very beginning, from day one. In fact, it would have been very odd. It would have been terribly confusing if, if Jesus was preaching this message of repentance, exhorting everyone to turn from themselves and to turn to trust in God, and he sent the disciples out with a mixed message, something different, and maybe a, a, a different message altogether. But it's not, that's not what's happening here. It's the same message because, in fact, at root, it's the same mission. And so practically, as we are a sent-out people, our ministry and our mission here as representatives of Jesus means that it's the same message. It's the same content. In other words, we don't get to determine what it is that we want to talk about. That means as much as I like to talk about this or that or I'm passionate about this or I'm really excited about this, Well, that may be my mission, but that doesn't mean it's Jesus' mission. Our mission, as we think about Christian ministry, involves speaking and teaching and proclaiming the gospel, the gospel of repentance, in fact. It involves speaking words. I remember when I was in university a long, 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 long time ago, uh, as a history major, I was always fascinated in reading some of the uh, primary texts of some pretty well-known, or as I got to be more familiar with some of the, the more venerated people in uh, history, church history, certainly. So I remember reading uh, of a monk, St. Francis of Assisi, 12th century. He had this phrase, preach the gospel, use, wor- use words if necessary. And so there were all kinds of study groups, and we got talking about this, and uh, trying to banter about. In the general sense, I remember was thinking, okay, we're trying to wrestle through that, preach the gospel, use words as necessary. And I think we kind of know, first of all, we don't even know that St. Francis said that. The more the historians dig into this, they think he probably didn't actually say that. So it might be a combination. But putting that aside for a moment, it was, it was kind of the question, well, which is it? Do we, do we just you know, serve with our actions? And then if, if we have to speak, maybe just kind of bring it in? Is that the way that the, the gospel is preached most effectively? Do good works matter? Of course they do. Good works are important. Jesus thought so. In fact, our good works, acts of sacrifice done in the name of Jesus, bring credibility to the fact that we actually believe the gospel. Our good works adorn the gospel. In a sense, they make sweet what we actually say we believe. So our good deeds, those Acts of service done in the name of Jesus, they, 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 they serve to show that our heart has been changed by God's grace. So yes, brothers and sisters, preach the gospel by your actions. And yes, brothers and sisters, you will need to use words. Words are necessary. Jesus thought so. He spoke a lot of words. And his primary ministry was as a preacher and a teacher. So when Jesus sends you out this week, wherever that is, across the street, around the corner, wherever that may be, 
you're going to need to open up your mouth. You're going to need to speak. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So I wonder who is being built up in faith because of you? Think about this last week in your life. Who who was built up in faith, edified in their faith because you spoke words of truth to them? That's convicting, even humbling, probably both. I think we hope that the people around us are being built up in faith because of our grace-inspired efforts. Parents, don't we all hope that our children are being built up in faith because of the conversations we're having with them, because we're seeking to be faithful and speaking the word of truth to them and the discussions we have? So don't give up, parents, at all. We want those to be built up in faith especially those that we care about, those around us. That's, and it's going to involve speaking words. That's one of the reasons, very practical reasons, why as we think about our children's Sunday school here, we, we're not all that interested in pinning the tail on the donkey of Jesus. In fact, this morning I was talking to a couple of guys who just got out of Sunday school, and one of them said, did you know that Joshua played poker? And I said, I, I was not aware of that. It must be a marginal reading. But he's paying attention because it's, that was one of the elder sons, but not mine. (laughs) But he was paying attention because he had that sheet there. And these are all opportunities where we're saying, look, this is important. We want to teach kids from an early age, age appropriate, the good news of the gospel. We want to speak words to them. The same happens in our high school and junior high and certainly in adults. We need to hear the truth. These are opportunities. So we're so thankful for Sunday school teachers and home group leaders who are building others up in the faith. What's that going to look like for you this week? Who has the Lord sent you to to build somebody else up in the faith knowing that you're going to need to use words? Fifth and finally, and perhaps this might be out of all four of these principles, the the previous four, this fifth one perhaps might be the most encouraging. Our mission is for normal people. It's for normal people, ordinary people. What Jesus does here, verse 13, is call normal, ordinary people to believe in him, and then he sends out those normal, ordinary people in mission and ministry, and what happens? Well, phenomenal things extraordinary things. Verse 13, these disciples cast out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick, and they healed them. Now, oil was used as, really, as a, as a blessing. It was like a healing balm. That's the first use. But according to James 5, the first century, is also a symbol of God's blessing. I think in this context, it, it represents uh, the, the healing presence of the Holy Spirit. So these disciples are neck deep in some extraordinary ministry. They're they're doing things they probably never dreamed that they would do through the power of the Holy Spirit, yet they themselves are not by anyone's estimation extraordinary. Far from it. These disciples that Jesus chose and saved and sent out on this first official mission trip led by Jesus, well, they're not road scholars. They're not class valedictorians. These are not straight A students. Like nobody won the fishing award in fishing class. 
In fact, up to this point, Mark chapter 6, none of us would look at these guys and say, wow, we got to get those guys on the team. we got to somehow convince them to sign up because if they're on the team, then we got a shot. We can do some really incredible things. It was, in fact, the opposite, wasn't it? Just read the first five chapters here of Mark. These disciples were confused. They were bewildered at times. They doubted Jesus. Their faith was weak. They got angry. At one point, they wondered if Jesus even cared about them at all, and maybe he was just going to let them die. But I don't think it gets much more normal than that. That seems pretty ordinary, like somebody may be reading our journal. If Jesus dared to send out these 12 guys in mission for him, to serve, to bless, as his representatives, don't you think Jesus can use you this week? Don't you think he can do something perhaps extraordinary in your life this week and through you? Because Jesus loves to use even the most flawed of human instruments to accomplish some things that we would never have dreamed about. And we are those flawed human instruments. The Apostle Paul reminded the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.27, Not many of you are wise or influential or of noble birth when God called you, but God chose the weak, the foolish, the despised things of the world to shame the wise and the strong. And so here in Mark 6, Jesus chose some very ordinary, normal, nothing to write home about guys. He saved them by his grace And then he sent them out by his grace. Ordinary, normal people sent by Jesus as his representatives into the normal, ordinary routines of life. So maybe it is that for some of you here, Jesus will call you and he will send you to a foreign shore. I pray that that does happen. So we think about global missions. I pray that that does happen. But what we can know is that Jesus has definitely called all of us to at least go across the street or around the block or into the school or whatever it may be right here where we're at. For most of us, we are a sent people, and the places where Jesus sends us are the very normal, ordinary places that we're familiar with. So it's a lot of probably normal, ordinary, routine And the challenge for us, I think, is actually to be faithful, to not give up amidst the normal, ordinary routine, the people that we see week in and week out, day to day. It's to not give up and actually grow, perhaps, in trusting Jesus that these are the people that he sent us to. I read a super encouraging blog. I I didn't actually, I'm not quite sure who, who, who wrote this, but whoever he or she is, it was encouraging, hear this. If you're a mom and your day is filled with diapers and screaming children, if your best ministry is speaking to the heart of your teenage son, know that your faithful parenting pleases the Lord. If your job is a slog and your days are simply wake up, shower, work, eat, sleep, and repeat, know your faithful labor pleases the Lord. If you're on the back end of life wondering what lasting influence you've left, Don't look to the deals you've closed or the wealth you've amassed. Look instead to the small but significant things, the family that surrounds you, the church that needs you, 
the spiritual life built over years of ordinary cultivation. Your quiet, and I would add ordinary, faithful life is meaningful. Amen and amen. It means that what you do and what I do, what we do, matters. Because you matter. God has set his steadfast love on you. He has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. It's all a, it's, it's a gift of his grace. And then in that same grace, you are now freed up to serve and to minister and to bless and to be a blessing wherever you go. So if you're here this morning and you're sitting there thinking, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in me. I don't even really have a very clear picture of how the Lord might want to use me. And I don't know that I even have a whole lot to contribute, but I do trust that Jesus can do something significant through me. This week, then you are exactly the kind of person that he's looking for. Because Christian ministry is not about learning to have more faith in yourself. Christian ministry is learning to put all your faith in Jesus Christ. Christ in you. And so the one indispensable quality, brothers and sisters, to be of use for Christ this week is faith. Faith. So if you're waiting around for a less busy season of life, waiting around to let the dust settles on some things you got going on in life before you fully engage in ministry and mission, or if you're waiting around until you think you'll be at the point where you finally have enough faith, you're likely never going to be ready. Jesus takes ordinary, normal people like us, he saves us, and then he sends us out in mission and ministry. Church, this earthly life is just far too short. We know that, don't we? It's just far too short, and our mission here as servants of King Jesus is far, far too important as we are sent out with the good news of the gospel to let another day go by, another week go by, or another month go by without really responding to Jesus, without understanding this great call, this great privilege we have of being sent out with the words of eternal life. And that's what the people around you, that's what the people around me most desperately need to hear. Let's pray.